With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to A Pod of Their Own. This is episode 124 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Surovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So uh, we haven't talked about the Mets uh, on this podcast in a couple of weeks because we had um, Meredith Wills on last week to talk about the baseballs. And that was a very illuminating discussion, which is ongoing throughout baseball because things uh, people continue to talk about it. And, you know, um, players continue to point out issues with the ball. Um, but some things have happened since the last time we talked about the Mets. Namely, they threw a combined no hitter, <laughs> which Yay, Mets. was very fun. Um, they threw a combined no hitter against the Phillies. Uh, it was a combination of Tyler McGill, Drew Smith, Joely Rodriguez, Seth Lugo, and Edwin Diaz. Uh, the second no hitter in franchise history, the first no hitter of this season and the 17th combined no hitter in major league history. Um, See, it's more rare than a regular no hitter, which I think makes it more special. Exactly. I will go on the stump to say that. You know, combined no hitters count, everyone. Don't let your butt hurt Phillies fan friends, Yankees fan <laughs> friends tell you that I mean, the combined no hitter doesn't count. If anything, I feel like it's so appropriate for this team, which is really like every all of the success that this team has had has been from very much the team perspective. Like it's about everybody doing their part. You know, there haven't been a lot of times where there's like the one dude who is the hero. Um 
you know, like Pete Alonzo's Sunday game, notwithstanding. But like, um, <laughs> I immediately thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's, I, it's really kind of sweet and meaningful that it was a team no hitter because that's really kind of been their vibe all season. I love it. Yeah. And the dude seemed really happy too. I was just going to say that, that I think that the, like when he made the last out, I think that that's the happiest I've ever seen Edwin Diaz in a Mets uniform, which is just like, Nice to see, considering, you know, he's had some rough patches as a Met. And <laughs> I he I think, you know, Edwin Diaz has had has gotten a lot of grief from Mets fans because he's been in the spotlight a lot. I mean, the closer is always in the spotlight a lot. But, you know, he was a, a part of that big trade that uh, that everyone still craps on, despite the fact that the results of even if the process we can argue about whether the process was good, but the results right now are tipped a little bit in the Mets direction, at least despite Robinson Cano's current situation, which we'll get to. Um, and I think it's, he's just been in the spotlight a lot because he was the return of a big of a trade of a blue chip prospect and, you know, hasn't lived up to the hype all the time, but it Except was that at this point, he really has. He I mean, has. Yeah. yeah. He's a genuine relief face and has been for a few years now. And I feel like a lot of folks are just sort of like forgetting that because the initial, uh, the initial impression was not great. Yeah, exactly. That was also with the juice balls. So that was kind of unfair. Yes, this is true. In 2019, like, obviously, that's not the impression you want to make, but it kind of was like a perfect storm. It was the juice balls. It was, you know, the fans were already mad because of the trade. And so I think he was just kind of set up to fail in 2019. There was no narco because that was the X factor. Yeah. And if if we remember, like, the juice ball really did bite him because like everything, every mistake he made was punished. Um, Every single time he made a mistake, it went out of the ballpark. And that was always the thing with Diaz was like, he didn't give up like strings and strings of hits. He either struck guys out or he gave up dongs. That was it. There was (laughs) no in between. (laughs) And I think, you know, he did walk a lot of guys that year also, but I think a lot of that was the nerves you know, with the home run being such an issue for him and coming into a new team and new city where his presence was not appreciated, you know, I think, um, and it's still, you know, it's, it still can be an adventure sometimes with him, but it's like, that's the way with every single closer because they're all human and they're always pitching in the highest pressure moments. So, you know, I, I, I would welcome people who are still, down on Edwin Diaz to pretend to be the fan of literally any other team in baseball and just tune in when their closer is pitching and see how you feel about it. Right. Like Liam Hendricks considered probably one of the top two or three closers in the game an elite closer coughed up a lead, a big lead yesterday Mm -hmm. um, for the White Sox. Like it happens sometimes to everyone. Well, and also, come on, how badass was that? Was him like this and why not cutting away and like narco playing? I loved and the it. Fans going crazy. Like, they did so that with dramatic. the with the Johan no hitter also, and it is pure class. And I wish they would do it more. I was so in the bag for it. Like I, I like was too. You know, like with with combined no hitters, I will say that the I think the difference between at least now that I've experienced one of each. 
Um, I will say the difference between the single pitcher no hitter and the combined no hitter is I think you start to get excited a little bit sooner for the single pitcher no hitter. Like you kind of start to think about it earlier in the game. I feel like I was not like really into into it with the like combined no hitter until like the eighth inning. Then I was like, oh, this like might actually happen or like maybe the seventh. Like, you know, it was like. Like, I wasn't thinking about it, like when Tyler McGill left the game and hadn't given up a hit and then like Drew Smith didn't give up a hit. Like I was like, you know, but 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 by the time they did like the they didn't cut away and narco like I was like fully in as if it were like just as excited as if it was a single pitcher no hitter. Like I was like so hype. I wasn't able to follow in real time because I was on bedtime duty. Oh, no. At one point I picked up the phone and it was this, I think it was like the seventh inning and it had that, that no hitter banner in MLB t- in the MLB app. And I was right. like, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever you guys. <laughs> and then, um, and then like an hour later or not an hour later, like a half hour later, I was like, oh my God, they're actually going to do it. Yep. <laughs> and then we, and then we went to the game the, the day after the no hitter. <laughs> And we're cold and miserable. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, but we won't talk about that. Uh, What we will talk about, though, um, is that, you know, I kind of thought that when it came to like comebacks that that Cardinals game, we talked about the Cardinals game um, a couple weeks ago. I kind of thought that that couldn't be topped, not necessarily just because of the deficit. Yeah. So not just because of the deficit, but just because of like how exciting it was. And it was off of Giovanni Gallegos, another really elite you know, closer again, happens to every closer sometimes. Um, But, you know, it was topped on Thursday when the Mets were down seven to one in the ninth inning and scored seven runs to win the game eight to seven. Incredible. One of the best games I've ever seen. Because fuck the Phillies. Yes. Always. Really important. (laughs) All these, the fact that both of these things happen specifically against the Phillies is so delicious. It's so good. (laughs) I was in, because the the Rangers were playing, so I locked onto Slack. And when I slacked on, the first comment I saw was <laughs> you saying the one Phillies fan who was literally the embodiment of the sad emoji. Oh, my God. It was. And I saw the picture. I'm like, oh, my God. That was the perfect description. I think it was the biggest frown I've ever seen on a human being's face. Like, it, so I'm not just talking about the sad emoji. You know how there's like a frown emoji, but then there's the emoji with the really big, like full arc frown. Like he looked exactly like that. And he became a meme more or less, like basically looked like sad Phillies fan, John Goodman. Like <laughs> it was so funny. I'm sorry. I know that that's mean, but it was just like the look on his face was so funny. And I think it's partially like, it's partially like me drinking the tears of Phillies fans, but it's partially like in the back of my mind, knowing that that's been Mets fans before. Yes. That's been oh, yeah. us. Plenty of times. The situation was reversed long ago, for that matter. Yeah. Right. Like Uh, this has been, this has been, this exact situation has been the Mets before. And these are just the types of things that usually happen to the Mets and are not (laughs) things that the Mets do (laughs) to other teams. You know, so it's nice to be on the other end of that for a change. It was just such a fun game. And I think, and I think going back to what Maggie said about the combined no hitter, like, again, it just shows that, like, this is a team effort. Like everybody pretty much in the whole lineup contributed 
And you have, in addition to like almost everybody in the lineup contributing to stringing together all the hits that led to the seven run inning, you also have the less heralded heroes of that game, like Adonis Medina. If Adonis Medina doesn't pitch two and two thirds scoreless innings in relief, that comeback doesn't happen when you think the game is already over. But it's not, you know, like he is the unheralded hero from that game. It's not easy being the up and down guy in the bullpen, like, you know, the last man in the bullpen. But he's done great in the, you know, opportunities he's been given. So, like, props to Adonis Medina. He deserves a shout out for that. And also, again, Edwin Diaz came in and shit like, like, you you couldn't let that come back be for nothing. Like, he he came in and just easily shut the door. And yeah, imagine what a letdown that would have been if the Mets had scored seven runs to to go up eight to seven, only to have the closer blow the game. Like, that would have been so, (laughs) so devastating. And that would have been been so messy, too. It would have been very messy, um, but Edwin Diaz did not allow that to happen. And, you know, it's it's worth saying too, like somewhat related, but it's worth saying too that like it, it says something about him that like it's he did not expect to pitch in that game, I imagine. Yeah, no, <laughs> not like in the, the zone. He was not, he had to get in the zone pretty quickly because <laughs> like, you know, when you're down seven to one and you're the closer, you don't think you're appearing in that game. So you kind of are just like going about your business, eating sunflower seeds in the bullpen, not thinking <laughs> that it's your time. So it's, it, it says a lot about him that he was able to get ready so quickly and, you know, shut the door and make, and, you know, complete that victory for the Mets. It was just like a couple of really nice wins that the Mets have put together. Um, they're 20 and 10 now. They're six games up on the second place Braves oh, in the Middle East. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Something bad happened. Okay, no, it was good. I'm pretty sure their first baseman just made an error. At, oh, like, runs. that's nice. Well, the, the Mets are currently, uh, well, something might have just happened, but they were. Uh, they had the bases loaded. The bas- bases loaded out. with one out. Uh, in play runs, I do see. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jess fell me an error because they focused on him. So yes, uh, so the, that game might be tied now. But anyway, going into this game that the Mets are currently playing with the Nationals on Tuesday night, as we record this, the Mets were the first team in baseball to 20 wins and sit Woo! at 20 and 10, six games up on the second place Braves in the NL East. Uh, things are going Wait, the Braves are in second now. The, the Braves are in second now. They oh. have started playing better. Um, I mean, they've all been, and they, the, the, the whole rest of the division is kind of clumped there, except yeah. for, um, except for, I think it's the Nats. Who's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Nats are the reverse record of the Mets. They're 10 and 20. Um, oh ev- everybody else in the NL East is like two or three games under 500. Basically, they're like all clumped in a little clump. I think I think the Braves are six games back of the Mets and the Phillies are like six and a half games back of the Mets. And I don't remember the Marlins. I think they might also be six and a half back. Well, but it's basically you have the numbers by any chance of like how many games it like it had been like, oh, in like 300 something for it teams was- that were down by like seven run- or like scored seven runs in the ninth and one. Oh, it was like, oh, yeah, the Mets had been like, had been, oh, and 330, 340, I thought. Yeah. Something, something like, like that. that. It was since 1997. That and was the Mets, since- though, Linda, just okay. the Mets, not yeah, every right. team. No, because the Nats had done it to us like two years ago. Yeah. So the Nats have won one W in that column, at least. Um, And then before 1997, it was like 1973 or something like this is. It's very rare. And I'm not saying the Mets are just pulling out of their hat on the reg. 
And I don't think that the Mets are unique in that regard. I don't think yeah. that uh, seven run comebacks in the ninth inning are all that common. Um, I, I have no idea like how Almost like there's if the, a mouse on the field, there's a mouse on the field. There's a mouse on the field. I don't want to hear about mice right now. And that's all I'm going to say <laughs> in reference to my personal life. Oh, they need the cats. <laughs> yeah. I got to get the Colorado cats out here. Uh, I mean, I, I, I live in DC can attest that there are mice here uh, as there are. Well, in it most might cities. not have been a mouse. It might've been a rat. He looked kind of big. Uh, yeah. Honestly, I mean, like, our beloved oh, family go. cat died two weeks ago. And since then, the mice have taken over, have taken over serious insult to injury, like Ugh. really just absolute garbage animal situation in my life. But Darn it, Chibi. Why'd you leave us in this situation? No. Come on. Yeah, um, he was our he was our Hodor. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> um, so a couple of like sort of more roster type notes uh, with the Mets that uh, we should talk about. So we talked about last time about how, you know, cause the last time we talked about the Mets, it was, you know, a couple weeks ago. So it was late. It was very late April and they were approaching the time when they were going to have to shave the rosters down from, um, from 28 to 26. Um, the pitching decision, which was probably already pretty clear to begin with, was made for them when Sean Reed fully injured himself. And we actually just found out today that Sean Reed fully will require Tommy John surgery, which he will get, he will get tomorrow. Very unfortunate for Sean Reed fully. That's so we saw him, we saw the, uh, him go down. Yep. We, we were there for that. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, we saw him go down. It did not look good. He screamed into his glove very loudly. So I think he, he knew what was up. Everyone knew what was up. Um, so yeah, the pitching decision was sort of made for them because someone got injured, but then, um, you know, there was the question of what do they do with the position players? There were a few different options. And I think ultimately the only realistic decision was Dominic Smith or Robinson Cano and Dominic Smith had, you know, a hero game where he went four for four and kind of like bailed himself out more or less. Um, and Robinson Cano continued to struggle heading into May 1st. And so they did what I think was kind of at least sort of unexpected by most people. Um, and they, they released Robinson Cano. Um, so he was released. Um, and I, you know, we talked was about he that officially being released yet, or was he, yes. I mean, no, he was yesterday, he was. Yeah. yesterday he was officially oh, okay. released. So he was DFA when roster shrank. And then, uh, yesterday he was officially released, um, and we talked about this being the first big test of whether the Cohen Mets were different than the Wilpon Mets. Um, and they they passed that test. They've accepted a sunk cost and moved on from it. And then, I mean, you know, Dominic Smith has not done himself any favors since then, unfortunately. But I, it was still regardless of that, it was still clearly the right decision. And I props to the Mets for doing that. Um, so, you know, I wish Robinson Cano the best. I hope he does, you know tack on with some probably like non-contending team or maybe semi-contending team hoping to get uh, a last ditch effort out of Robinson Cano. And I hope he's successful because I want Robinson Cano to be successful. It's just the Mets weren't the place he was going to do it. Alternatively, if he wants to come back as like special hitting instructor or whatever, like would welcome him with open arms. They did say that too, um, that they, there would be a position there if you ever wanted to be in the organization as like a coach or anything. So I imagine he's, he's going to really want to play this year, but I would think that pretty soon that kind of offer will, will be the 
the better one out there for him. Yeah. I mean, he helped Pete win the home run derby. That's that accounts for something. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he's really well, he's really well respected in that clubhouse. I, I mean, we talked yeah. about this when this decision was being made and the Mets talked about this. Uh, Francisco Lindor talked about this, about like, you know, it's a tough decision. It wouldn't have been as tough of a decision if everyone didn't love having him around so much, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, it seems like that was the bigger the bigger argument for the team, the, the thing that made it hard to choose to release him it from the conversations, it never really sounded like it was the money. It sounded like it was yeah. about his role in the clubhouse. And like, I do still think they made the right choice, but I think that's a much smarter argument than being like, well, you can't, you know, just throw away all that money. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think I respect, I respect that there was concern around that. And it does seem that they did a really good job of communicating with the players, which I think is important. Yeah, I agree. Um, Although so, they do need another bat. <laughs> yeah, I would argue that they do. Um, and that could be a trade deadline situation. Um, we'll see. Yeah. But right now they're looking, I mean, the only way they don't really look like one bat short is if Dominic Smith starts hitting consistently. Uh, that would improve things a great deal, but I still wish that they would get one more bat. They really do need it. Despite the fact that the likes of Travis Jankowski and Luis Guillorme actually continue to perform very well in their roles, which is why they weren't cut. Um, but they need one more bat. (laughs) (laughs) Our own Jack McLoon. Um, He's on the Brandon Jury train and saying, oh, get him God. now. Yeah, I know. He, I mean, Brandon Jury is the Reds' best player currently. <laughs> the uh, the uh, six-win Reds, uh, their best player right now. He's hitting like 350 or something, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, so, you know, that could be a thing. Re- reacquire Brandon Jury. Um, I mean, if anybody's selling right now, it's the Reds. It doesn't cost you anything to check in. Sure. And how much um, would he really cost either? It's Brandon Drury. Nothing, more or less. I mean, something, but not anything major. That's for sure. The Reds are the Reds are indeed. I mean, I saw the other day that the Reds have already said that they're listening to offers on uh, Tyler Molly and uh, Luis Castillo, two of their um, pitchers. Um, although, so Luis Castillo actually just came off the injured list. He started the season on the injured list. He was hurt. And M- M- Molly, I believe, has not pitched very well. So I don't know how much they're going to get for either of those guys, but they're apparently dangling them out there um, for what that's worth. Um, Though I know it's bad for baseball, but I still kind of want to laugh and point at Mike Pistakis. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I think it's only fair when you go out and you talk like that to your own fans. Like this is exactly yeah. what should what should come from that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the other sort of uh roster no uh thing of note we mentioned Sean Reed Foley's injury. The other Mets pitcher who is injured right now, besides Jacob Degrom, although there is a Jacob Degrom update which I forgot to mention. Uh, Jacob Degrom is throwing apparently lightly throwing. Uh, we have learned from 60 feet, which is good. Uh, so at least there's like signs of life. We've confirmed that he's like alive and starting to throw. So <laughs> that's, that's good news. Um, he's we gonna... need proof of life from Billy <laughs> Indeed. Um, so he's going to continue to progress in his rehab. And um, they talked about how he's doing a lot of like 
strengthening type of work to hope to prevent this type of injury from happening again. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I feel like given the fact that he didn't start throwing at the earliest point in the timetable that they were thinking, um, they had, they had said that the earliest possible return was June one, but they've already kind of put that out of place or out of reach by putting, by transferring him, him to the 60 day IL, which they did today, um, to make room. It was, for... all right. it was always a, a long shot. Yes. Always. Um, rather than not rush him anyway. It yeah. seems like I mean, right now, now they're fine. Yeah. It seems like now his return is going to be closer to the all-star break, I'd imagine, if he stays on his current trajectory. Um, so you know, that's fine. Uh hopefully the Mets can continue to do what they're doing until he gets back, and then he gets back and it's you know, the Mets are even better um for it. So hopefully he all goes smoothly. Um, they made the they made the the 40 man roster spot by transferring DeGrom to the 60 day IL because they claimed a uh a random guy off waivers today whose name sounds like you know middle ages landed gentry what's his name again the guy they claimed uh, like a sinclair or something st john is it lord st john oh no, lock st john uh somebody said that's a song where they'd be like singin yeah that's the british are always like singin i'm like lock that's a different word. john who was- i think it sounds more soap opera who was uh, wavered by the by the Cubs to make room for none other than Robert Gizelman. So, like, you know, today I saw that and I was like, the circle of life. <laughs> it's all Mets. It all comes back. To it the all Mets. comes around. Um, so the, they've claimed. Yeah, they've claimed this guy seemingly as like, you know, kind of depth. He is a lefty. The Mets don't have many of those. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, in doing so, the Mets transferred DeGrom to the 60 day IL, but there was never a, there was never, you know, kind of any doubt that he was going to miss less than 60 days anyway. That's an administrative move, not any indication of where DeGrom's at in his, you know, recovery. Um, Walking onto Twitter and seeing DeGrom trending, though, I was going to jump out my office window. But oh, my God. <laughs> Can't do that stuff. Can't do that stuff. <laughs> we can't have DeGrom trend without me knowing why, please. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other Mets injury that has happened since we last talked about the Mets is that um, stress reactions seem to be going around this year. Um, oh, wait, no, but who is the other guy they picked up from Toronto? The Mets? Yeah, they picked up like an infielder. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I forgot about that. 
How dare you and forget that, And he had, that, like, Allison. an incredible, like, goodbye post to Toronto, too. Yeah, Kato. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, he seems fun. Yeah, he does seem fun. He seems very, he seems very fun. Uh, he's 27 years old. He's an infielder. Um, he's been, he's in, he's going to be in Syracuse. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, he might be sort of like a Matt Reynolds, uh, like depth option. (laughs) If, uh, something should befall one of their infielders, knock on wood. Um, so yeah, they, they've made two waiver claims in the past week or so. Um, but uh, the other injury news is uh, stress reactions. We've got them. Uh, Jacob deGrom <laughs> has a stress reaction. Trevor May also has a stress reaction. Uh, so it was pretty obvious uh, that Trevor May has been pitching hurt like all year, uh, given the fact that he. I would just bad. like to say, though, I opined on Twitter a couple weeks ago that he did not seem right and that I was concerned that he was still injured. I'm not going to name names, but at least two Twitter users felt the need to like mock me for that opinion. And like, I take no joy in Trevor may being hurt because he's a good dude and the Mets could really use him right now. But excuse me. Hello. <laughs> this was not rocket science. Like, no, he, do so you have eyeballs? Like a very, very brief victory lap. No, this feels bad, but but don't mock me for wondering if somebody's hurt. Yeah, I think I saw that tweet. And, like, you made a good point. Like, he literally screamed in pain on the mound. That's not normal. Like, A, we all... I know Trevor May tried to minimize it at the time. But, A, we all have eyeballs. And, B, like, I, he's not that... Like, he's not that bad of a pitcher. Like, he's good. And so, like, having yeah. results that bad is, like, deeply disconcerting from a health perspective. Like... Yeah. See, have you met the Mets? They shortchanged that healing process so much. Like, also, have you met the Mets? This is stuff that they do all the time. Like, so-and-so's definitely, you know, maybe a little hurt, but it's fine. He's not hurt. And then pitches or plays through the injury for a month, and then he goes on the I.L., which is exactly what happened here. Um, The Mets seem to think that he can pitch through it means that he won't actually die on the mound. Um, And the thing that like, and so, you know, Trevor May is one of the more online and engaged of the New York Mets, which bless him for it, because like, you know, he it makes him very fun to root for. Um, I love his emotion. I I know. So good. Um, Even though I don't understand some of them. (laughs) But, you know, he has explained and he's right. Like, listen, because like people were giving him crap for, you know, pitching while hurt and the and, you know, that kind of hurt the team and him doing so because he was ineffective. But listen, these guys are constantly feeling pain of some kind, (laughs) constantly, especially pitchers. They are always sore to some degree. It's just a question of like, how high is your pain tolerance? And like, how much are your alarm bells going off? How, how far deviated from normal soreness and pain is this? And at first I think that Trevor may just really thought like, this is normal, early season soreness and like we had us these guys are conditioned too, like their whole lives the you know pitching through yeah. it is rewarded right and like and you know they had a short spring training I, I and he even said like at, when he was trying to downplay it like you know it might just be the shortened spring training like I'm not really fully ramped up yet I'm and it was cold. sore and it was cold so 
He tried to pitch through it. Clearly, he kept experiencing pain. He didn't say anything. But then after I think it was it was like last Monday's game. So not yesterday. Yesterday was an off day. But like last Monday, he he had a bad outing again, uh, gave the Braves two insurance runs or whatever it was. They ended up winning five to two instead of three to two. And he said, you know, I'm not fully healthy. Um, And then he went on the IL like the next day with uh, triceps like tendonite or like I forget what they called it, like tricep soreness, something. Um, But then he got an MRI and that showed a stress reaction in his humerus. So he has the same sort of injury that Jacob deGrom has, like a precursor to a stress fracture if you don't rest it. But it's just in a different bone in his body. So uh, he's got probably got the DeGrom type timeline. So he's going to be out for some time, um, which is unfortunate for the Mets bullpen because the Mets bullpen is not that deep. <laughs> no, um, no, no, and no. we talked about this being an issue at the beginning of the year. It continues to be an issue. Um, luckily, uh, so far, uh, the bulk of May's innings are going to a combination of Drew Smith and Seth Lugo, who are both pitching very well right now. Seth Lugo had a very rocky start to the season has since recovered. Drew Smith has a zero ERA still has yet to be scored upon (laughs) this season. Drew Smith looks fantastic. Like this doesn't, I'm not saying he's going to end the season with a zero ERA, but it's not like smoke and mirrors where he's just sort of like eking by everything. Like he looks He looks really good. And I think it was, it was never a question of talent with Drew Smith. It was always just like, can he stay healthy? And hopefully he can. Um, I, I do, I do worry that like, I don't necessarily worry that like he's going to pitch too much and get injured necessarily. Although that is also a concern. It's all, it's more like, can he do a full season load and stay effective? Um, I am concerned about that, but for the time being, he's pitching really well. They should continue to, uh, put him out there in high leverage situations because they don't have Trevor May. Um, they basically have Seth Lugo, Drew Smith, and Adam Adovino kind of like three-headed setup man situation. Adovino has been... Uh, and Adovino's been very up and down. Very yeah. up and down. Um, I mean, to be fair, he probably shouldn't have pitched three days in a row. Yes, yes. But... He had, um, on Wednesday, it was of last week, he had a horrific outing. I mean, he came in... He came in in the worst possible circumstances. It was his third day pitching in a row. He came in with the bases loaded, but he failed to retire a batter and like four or five runs scored before he was out of the game. Now, not all of those were charged to him. Some of them were charged to Tyler McGill, which ended up tarnishing his otherwise, you know, what would have otherwise been a solid outing for Tyler McGill. Um, But yeah, it's it. Adam Adovino has had has mostly been fine, but had one or two like really ugly outings. Um, and that was, but, one then, but then again, that was another symptom of your bullpen is short. If you're going to a guy for a third day in a row for a third day in a row. Um, and that, and you know, it's because in part, it's in part because the Mets had a double header last week, um, on Tuesday, the day before that. So they basically had depleted their entire bullpen because they pitched two games the day before. Um, but you know, it's, it's still, it still is indicative of the fact that, the Mets bullpen depth is thin Um, and it's gonna, it hasn't like bitten them to the point where it's like a a huge, huge alarm bell issue yet, but it's cost them one or two games uh, and it will continue to be like a lingering problem. Well, all uh, their games in the beginning of the year that they lost were all because of the bullpen. Right. Correct. So I mean, that has since changed, but 
there were a few like in April that were like, eh, that was, uh, yeah. Cause I remember everybody was screaming about Buck and he, his poor bullpen management, but then sometimes your choices are just bad. It was a combination of both. Yeah. I mean, like there was really, people are giving uh, Buck show Walter crap for putting in out in that spot because yeah. a, it was his third day in a row and B he doesn't, he's not, uh, he's prone to walking guys. Uh, but like there really was no good option. I feel like if he had put in Adonis Medina, for example, which was an option there, uh, and Adonis Medina had given up like, you know, a three run double or something like he would have just gotten crap for that too. So I feel like there was no good, uh, choice there. Um, but, uh, the, the sort of final Mets thing I wanted to cover, um, before moving on to the baseball segment this week is that, um, Chris Bassett has said that he is open to an extension with the Mets. Um, and I would say, yeah, exactly. I would say (laughs) the best time to do that was yesterday. And the second best time to do it is right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I get, I think he's 33 years old. So I get, and their, their rotation isn't exactly made up of spring chickens. No. (laughs) Um, but there's but there's a lot about him that should age yeah. well. Yeah. And you know, and he's given them no reason like there haven't been any red flags and they have no arms in the pipeline. So it's like he you have somebody who wants to be here, let him be here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um so and and like the Mets rotation is if they don't, you know, keep Bassett around beyond this year, they're going to have to do some serious work in free agency and there is not a lot that's going to be out there in free agency next offseason if you look ahead to who is out there and it's the, the options are extremely underwhelming. Um so it would be who's Mets a free agent too? No. I can't remember. I think he- maybe after I think Taiwan he, Walker. Taiwan okay. Walker is. I think Carrasco may have an option. Have one more. Okay. I don't remember. Although figuring things out in real time on a podcast. Oh, Joey Lil Casey won't be back. <laughs> in <laughs> theory. The churf the chur- will be in full effect again. <laughs> well, I mean, and of course the the free agent that nobody wants to think about is Jacob DeGrom. Mm. Although I also have to say that like his odds of sticking around, I think have gone up somewhat with the fact that he's basically. No, he's got one more year. Carrasco 2023. He's got. Okay. Okay. 2024. That's That's what I thought. Um, But they're losing Taiwan Walker, potentially losing Jacob DeGrom. Although you'd have to think that the Mets would would do whatever it takes. To yeah, keep I don't think so. You can't, you can't but that's still, go. you know, um, that's still some seats that got to be filled. So but yeah, basically is okay. if you, if you um, keep Bassett around, all you have to do for next year is replace Taiwan Walker, which is, which is good. And like, you know, by that point, hopefully the Mets will have a healthy Jacob DeGrom back and work really hard to keep him around so that, you know, you'll have a rotation and, and Tyler McGill will still be around. So you'll have a rotation that consists of Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Jacob deGrom and Tyler McGill, which is pretty good. Um, That's a good. And all you, all you have to do is then possibly sign like kind of a fifth starter level type of guy. Which is Lucchese. <laughs> 
I wouldn't count on, I wouldn't pencil in Lucchese into next year's rotation, but I would pencil him in as depth and that would be good to have. Um, poor, poor Joey Lucchese. But I would say like, That's the spicy meat the ball. Though. I would say that if you don't, I would say that if you don't retain Chris Bassett, you probably have to sign in addition to keeping, doing what you can to keep the Grom. You have to probably make two signings, at least one. Whereas, you know, you can get away with if you keep Chris Bassett and DeGrom, you can get away with maybe not making any signings or making like, you know, um, uh, you know, like minor league free agent sort of signings or things like that. Preferably make one signing. You could get away with none, but your depth would be really thin sort of situation because you still have McGill and Peterson around next year. And Peterson is kind of the other wild yeah. card because he certainly looks much better this year than he has any prior yes. year. Yes, absolutely. Um, no offense. Not to say that they should keep him around instead of Chris Bassett, but that at least like that is potentially more quality depth, which is the, the key uh, qualifier that the Mets have at times been missing when it comes to their depth. And Sam yeah. Peterson's their only lefty right now too. So yep. Right. They don't have any lefties in the rotation. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. I mean next year it would be Peterson and Lucchese. That'd be it. And also, no offense to Chris Bassett, but because he's very good and he was always very good, and you know everybody praised the signing. But and I like him. Like I like his post game. Like he always comes out like when he was with the umpire, and the umpire like was like, "Oh my bad, I missed a call." He was like, "Yeah, we settled it right there. It was fine." And then when he got called for the balk, he was like, "Yeah, I agree." Like he was like, "I agree." I balked. Caught yeah, me. I balked. Like I was actually surprised it caught me. Like he was like, "I said good call." Like I like him, but I always forget he's on the team. <laughs> he's a very like I don't know because I would call him unassuming. But he's not, though. But he's not. Um, <laughs> it's he's just like absolutely zero drama. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> like I don't know if you guys watched this show that come just shoot me like way back when, maybe not way back when, but there was this one episode where David Spade is this is the secretary, and his boss just comes out and says, "Dennis, well, who's the one I always forget?" And he goes, "Sneezy," and then his boss goes right back into his office. So me and my sister call Chris Bassett Sneezy. That's a very <laughs> funny he's nickname. The one we always forget. It's a very funny nickname. So um, me and Marie are like, "Oh, Sneezy's been changed tonight." I do feel like he and Scherzer complement each other very well, um, as far as like their presence that they bring, because they both bring like veteran presence to the team yeah they both you know the way that they have the pitching clinic for tyler mcgill after every one of his starts is like super great i love that um but you know to like and they're both like very um very well-spoken guys who know the craft well and talk about it and articulate it well um but scherzer is just like the way more intense version <laughs> yeah yeah maybe it's because scherzer's there and just kind of like steals all the the energy maybe yeah like you know also just because yeah. Scherzer's always like right on the like during all the hit by pitch drama like Scherzer was like on the top dugout step at all times <laughs> and he got tossed from the game when he wasn't even pitching yep yep which I think should happen a lot more often. I agree not that I think that umpires should be tossing but I think like Scherzer is the exact person who should be calling out the umpire at those moments because like it has no effect on the yeah I agree point, I trust Scherzer's judgment that I'm an umpire too <laughs> 
Yep, totally. Um, so yeah, extend Chris Bassett. That would be a very good move to solidify things for next year. Yeah, I like him. I think he, like Meg, you said, he, he's shown no signs of like being in danger of all of a sudden falling off a cliff. Yep. Like he's done. Well, I think part of that is because he has such a bizarre repertoire. Yes. Like he just, he throws so, so many different pitches that he's like, not pure fastball. I think that's, yeah. And I think that's part of why you don't necessarily need a lefty in this rotation because he can kind of do some of that weird stuff that lefties do. Um, and then also, I mean, I think like as he ages, you know, oh, well, his worst pitch is not so good anymore. So now he only has five pitches he could throw at any count in any right. of that. Chris Bassett does have lefty energy. Even though he's not <laughs> he a does. lefty. I, for the longest time, I did think he was a lefty. I did too. <laughs> even before, before, even before this podcast, I had confirmed that he was in fact not, but like, <laughs> if you told me he was secretly a lefty who was pitching in front of a mirror, I would not be surprised. Yeah. See, for some reason when they acquired him, I thought he was a lefty. Nope. Just lefty energy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's the title this week. Chris Bassett has lefty energy. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait, have we talked about, because I looked up, because Lindor just made a great play and Carrasco is still in. Have we talked about Eduardo Escobar pointing out that Carrasco is tipping his pitches? No. no I didn't I even know that that, that was entirely. a thing. Yeah. like I love it, though. Tell me more. Yeah, as soon as like they signed Escobar like in spring training, he went to Carrasco and was like, you were tipping your pitches last year. Oh, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, well, thanks for telling me. Well, thanks for that. Great. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Hefner. Yeah, why didn't Keep you know that, that, Jeremy? Yeah, like, Come nobody on, else knew. I'm pretty. I like you, Jer. I'm pretty. <laughs> sure. I know really there good. was a story about, um, I think, I think I remember Tyler McGill saying that he thought he was sometimes tipping his pitches last year. Um, no, no, I'm pretty sure it was Carrasco. Like, somebody... no, I think it's both. Like, I think it can be both. Like, I think Tyler McGill also said, like, like Tyler McGill thought that he was tipping his own pitch. Like, he thought that oh. that was part of his issues. Like, when he ran into issues, like later in the season, he thought that he was tipping his pitches. Um, and that was part of it. I think that there was like a com. Like he said, it was a combination of he was tipping his pitches. And like he wasn't using his like he changed his delivery a little bit like he wasn't using his legs enough. Um, he and he started modeling like his delivery more after Degrom's because Degrom like the reason why Degrom's delivery looks so effortless is because he uses all power in his legs. Um, and so McGill realized like I can th- and that's like he got the little velocity bump too because he was like you know, I, Tyler McGill's a big, strong guy. He's very tall, very strong, um, broader, certainly broader than Jacob deGrom. Um, and he like, doesn't take, I think he realized that he could power more with his legs and like, you know, throw a little harder. Uh, and so he like changed his delivery a little bit to a, not tip his pitches and B use his legs more. And that's been part of what has been successful for him this very successful. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. It was Escobar. It it was like on the first day of spring training, he went to him and it was like, oh, yeah, you, did you know that? And he was like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I love that Carrasco is having such a good season because even before he came to the Mets last year, 
really liked him. You know, he's got a great story. Oh, no, they mentioned it on this That's what it was. Oh, okay. Gotcha. During a game. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and he had all those injuries last year, obviously rushed coming back for them and looked terrible. And, you know, I really, I really wanted the best out of him. Um, and he just, he looks fantastic. It's great. Yeah. We love it. I think that he, they may have just taken him out of the game. Unclear to me. I hear, I hear a commercial in the other room and it, they, they have like game advisory. It might have been the end of the inning. I saw he already had two outs. Well, I mean, he already had, he gave up a single with two outs. Uh, so so I think they, and now Riley Adams is up. So I think they might've taken him out because then Riley Adams hit the homer. Um, so I think that they might've taken him out, but, but, you know, yep. Drew Smith is in. Uh, so, I mean, I would have kept him in, but like, I, I, this is one of those things where it's like the marginal. Yeah, I'm one run lead, uh, you know, two runs and six and two thirds quality start. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Maggie said, I'm very happy for him, too, because he is a genuinely like good dude. And I was so happy when we got him, too. Me, and too. So, yeah, he was always like the the underappreciated piece of that deal. Yes. Um, and yeah, just just very glad that he he is healthy in every respect. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, he just seems like a good guy to have around the team. And my kids love that. His name is cookie. (laughs) Every, every day it's is cookie pitching today is polar bear is polar bear. Pete. (laughs) We need more good nicknames. I know. I don't know if they know that McNeil is the squirrel, but you can tell them that. (laughs) Yeah. I will tell them that. Um, McNeil may not embrace it, but your kids can. <laughs> well, now McNeil got the hit with the rally rat. <laughs> yeah, rally rat. Rat or raccoon, who can say? <laughs> um, the rat or raccoon memes are going to be back. I'm sure of it. Oh, they are. They are. Believe oh, good. good. Glad <laughs> Mets Twitter is already uh, stepped up it. to the plate. They never fail to. Uh, let's be real. We forget nothing. Yes. No. Uh, so um, as far as wider baseball news this week, um, as I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast know, um, late last month, uh, Trevor Bauer was suspended for 324 games. So the suspension finally happened after, you know, months of administrative leave investigations, uh, Trevor Bauer suing people and on and on. Um Almost a year, right? Yeah, almost a year. It's pretty nigh on close to a year um, of that. He was suspended for 324 games, which adds up to two full seasons, um, which is by <laughs> far the most severe punishment that's ever been handed down under um, MLB's domestic violence policy. Um, and the time that he spent on administrative leave, this near full year, does not count toward that suspension. Like, it would start, you know, now or like, you know, after the appeals process, whether that's, you know, uh, if that's not successful and start after that. Um, and he, during that administrative leave, he was paid, but now during the suspension, he will be unpaid. Um, and by the time that suspension is up, if he does indeed end up serving this full suspension, his contract with the Dodgers will be expired at that point. So, and he will not have pitched professionally in three years, two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Almost three seasons. Um, and so what a shame. You know, Hate to see it, <laughs> love to see it, unironically love to see it. Um, and a good reminder that all this time, MLB could have been handing down more stru- stringent sentences against domestic violence 
um, abusing players. Uh, and they didn't. Yes. And, you know, if you want to talk about how like, oh, it's crazy that he's getting so much more time and so-and-so or that guy or this guy, it's like, yeah, it is. They should all have gotten long suspensions. It is crazy that he's getting so much longer, but not for the reasons that you're saying it. <laughs> it's yeah. the other way, the other around. way around. Um, he is obviously appealing the suspension, um, which is which does play a factor in the length a little bit of the suspension because all of the previous suspensions, save for Felipe Vasquez, was a special case because he's in jail literally um, for his actions, which we won't talk about because they're disgusting. Um, but save for him, which was a unique case. Um, all of the other suspensions that have been handed down uh, under this policy, the player waived his right to appeal. So they were kind of negotiated upon lengths of suspension. The league knew that they were never going to negotiate with Trevor Bauer because he was going to appeal probably no matter what, unless the, unless the thing, unless the decision was no suspension, he was going to appeal. So they, I think baseball, and I'm not one to give kudos to major league baseball or Rob Manfred or anybody in charge of this sport. Um, but I will say, I think that baseball handed down more or less the most severe punishment they could possibly hand down without risking Bauer winning his appeal. Um, this is, this is like the length of his contract. Uh, it's, it's a severe suspension. It, like they could have pursued a lifetime ban, but it's his first offense. It granted it's many offenses in one offense, but he hasn't previously, like violated this policy it's a first offense and i think that you know there is enough like there's no there's no criminal charges uh being like you know placed against him so i think that like it would i think that there would be a chance that he would win the appeal if the if mlb tried to seek a lifetime ban and i think that's why they didn't try that but oh, I have, I don't know, unofficially, I think it's a lifetime ban because what team is going to sign him after two years of being at a baseball? On one hand, I mean, yes, but I think teams do crazier stuff than right, that all the time. Right. That, what I mean, Maggie said. They, I mean, but he, there's no more sticky stuff. He's at a baseball for two years. He'll be two years older. I don't know. I mean, I, That's I don't think bet. that. I don't think that his career will um, will recover in a meaningful way. I don't think so either. Unless he is able to, in the meantime, um, find some foreign team willing to pick up his bullshit. Yeah, which that has happened before. Um, It sure has. Like, you know, take a year in Korea, Mexico, wherever, and, you know, build a case for yourself again and then come back. It's happened and it will happen again to other players. Um, but I think that on one hand, I, I agree with Maggie. I don't think you can put it past any team to pull this bullshit, especially since like with that much risk, he's going to be basically free. Like he's not getting another contract that has any substantial money at all. Um, so I think that teams will see that as a low cost opportunity flyer, sadly. Um, but on the other hand, the thing that I think works toward like works in favor of his career being over is I think he has been, if nothing else, the small victory using robust air quotes. If we can call it that here is I think he has been pretty effectively ostracized from the game by his peers. Like, I don't think he's respected by any 
player on any team. Now, front offices obviously are often evil machines that evil money ball machines that will take anything for cheaper free. If, it, if they think it can help them win ball games, I'm not talking about front offices, but I do think he will not be welcome in any clubhouse in major league baseball after this. Yeah. Cause wasn't that like a big story last year where like all his teammates like unfollowed him on Instagram or something. Basically none of his teammates want anything to do with him. Yeah. And, and, well, it was just so obvious in, in how he comported himself this entire process that, you know, it, it was never about like getting back to his team. It was about um, exacting revenge. Right. Exactly. Um, and they saw right through that. Um, and like, and it's worth noting, too, that Bauer, at least Dodgers, Bauer has teammates on the Dodgers that have been suspended under this very policy. And even those guys are not eager to go to bat for him, um, which says something because you know that these dudes usually form a club right now. His club is like Deshaun Watson. <laughs> like it's not any of his teammates. It's not anyone in baseball and half a million bars. Right. right. Of course. Of course. The faceless troglodytes that will <laughs> go to bat Ugh. for any abuser. Um, but I think when it comes to like, baseball and like the players i don't think there's a single person who would you know risk anything for him at this stage so not hearing a ton of folks calling for any improvement to his situation that doesn't seem to be a commonly held whether the distaste of the players will stop a front office from signing him after his suspension is over is unclear but I think at least the players have successfully blackballed him from the sport. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Which, but. You know, it really needs to happen more often. Like, obviously this was like, the, you know, the most, like, I don't want to say obvious, maybe more high profile, but like whenever a domestic abuser comes back and they talk to teammates and they're like, well, we welcomed him back. He apologized. Like, no, call them out. And it's the only way like things are going to change. And like, cause we've said this before. Well, it's, Bauer never apologized because Bauer still insists that he yeah, never did anything. Never wrong. did anything. But like, you know, when the, the one that I think of is Addison Russell, all the Cubs defended him. Right. And, they did. Yeah. And it's like, what would have happened if just one person or like, that's a personal matter and it's between him and his wife. We're not going to get involved. Like Joe Madden was good for that too. But you know, yeah. Joe Madden is always reliable for that. that. Yeah. I'm like, well, what does it take for just one person to say, no, this isn't right. Like we, I don't know. It, it, it would have cost them nothing to say something. And apparently it was too hard. And it's a big problem in domestic violence in general, because everybody is always so quick to like blame the woman to think that, okay, well, you know, if if he's going to, you know, I got to be on his side if he's going to get better. And, but the result is that there aren't any consequences and social consequences are generally the most successful in something like this. You know, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be disliked by their friends. Right. Like Bauer doesn't care that, so when friends are like, I'm with you through thick and thin, buddy. 
then where's the where's the consequence? Where's the consequence? Yeah. Like Bauer doesn't care that we're on this podcast not liking him. Like he could not care less. But he probably does care that none of his teammates ever want anything to do with him ever again. Um yep. worth noting before we move on from this topic uh, is uh there is actually a third accuser that has come forward. Um it, right in the aftermath of the suspension being announced, a third woman from Ohio um, did come forward and say that Bauer uh, accused Bauer of sexual assault and say and said that he choked her unconscious multiple times throughout their relationship without her consent. So, like, you know, the 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 accusations are growing. Um, and I imagine that, you know, this was already information that baseball was privy to when they were investigating and is a big part of the, the fact that he has like multiple accusers not, and not just one, not just two, three now that we know about. Um, and I think that that was a big part of, you know, why baseball handed down this uh, hefty suspension. Um, and, you know, I think that it's just it's horrific and it's a pattern. And this woman clearly like wasn't going to come forward before uh, Major League Baseball handed down the suspension because the like I, I think it like her information was part of the investigation. So um, but after the suspension was was handed down, she came forward. So, uh, you know, hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about Trevor Bauer like ever. Ever. <laughs> Ever, I really pray that it's the last time we have to talk about him ever. That would be that's my fondest wish. It's my fondest wish in the world. <laughs> Please, let's give ourselves a little counter and see how long we can go without having to talk about Trevor. Oh Bauer. yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's let's have like one of those wall do. like uh, those things on like the wall of the imaginary uh, a pot of their own studio that doesn't exist, but we're imagining <laughs> it. Ex- Which, by the way, if any of our listeners would like to draw a picture of what they imagine our studio looks like, <laughs> um, I would love that would be great that would be awesome. consider that your that's your homework for the week yeah y'all. go draw a picture of and in the corner <laughs> of the studio is like a little counter days without having to talk about trevor bauer um so let's let's uh after today we'll set that at one and then we'll start counting <laughs> and hopefully it goes to infinity days <laughs> um but yeah um on to uh better topics um so uh, we talked, or I say we, I was actually not involved in this discussion, but um, the, the week that I was out, um, you guys talked about uh, the sensory nook that was being put in place in City Field, which is a really positive step forward. Um, but Maggie actually went to City Field with her kids and experienced the sensory nook for herself. Uh, so I'll hand the mic over to her to talk about her experience with that. Well, I will preface this by again. This is certainly better than nothing. Um, And I'm glad that they did it. But um, it's really, really underwhelming. Um, You know, it was very clear. It was it's in the picture. It was obviously not like a room, but it did appear to be like a large-ish nook. In reality, it is like a diner booth but not a diner booth for a family of four a diner booth for a family for like two um you know when the kids were one on each side of the table like my husband and I could squish in next to them and technically all four of us could fit in there but not comfortably um and like there's just 
you know, it's quiet, but it's also quiet because it's on the suite level and there's nothing else going, like, like there's no people around. So, you know, it, it's, it could just literally be like, you know, a room divider put up in the suite level hallway and it would achieve largely the same effect. Um, and like, you know, there's not enough room, you know, my, my son likes to lie down on the ground when he's feeling a little overwhelmed. That's, you know, where he, he just feels very grounded like that. And, you know, because it really is like a diner booth, there's no, there's no ground there that he can lie down on. Like he spent more time lying on the floor of the hallway outside the nook than he did in the hook, in the nook. Um, and like, you know, the little vibrating chairs were nice. They, they, he, he got a hoot out of that. Um, there are some sensory items to play with, which, you know, are, are, I feel like it makes more sense to kind of have those out and about than in the nook, but like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's also hard to get to. I mean, it really is like annoying to get to, um, you know, I think it probably from our seats, which were on the same side of the stadium, it took us almost 10 minutes to get there. And that's having already known ahead of time that I needed to go to the fan assistance booth to get a pass, which took another like 10 minutes to get that sorted out. And I just, it's just one of those situations where I feel like if they had talked to anyone who might've had a need for this, um, that a lot of the effort that went into something that is not going to serve a huge purpose for a lot of people, that that could have been used a little more wisely. Um, I'm sure I'm not going to, I'm, we wouldn't be the only family who felt like that's really hard to get to. And like, we were, you know, our family, we were doing well, nobody was really like overwhelmed, but no, just starting to get a little tired and thinking like, okay, well, we'll check this out, you know, before we go. And we were there for like maybe 10 minutes and then we just left. Um, cause there just wasn't anything. And, and the other thing is there's also like no, no way to watch the game. Right. Right. And the kids were actually super disappointed oh. that they couldn't see like, and I, you know, and I, obviously you wouldn't want to have like the sound blaring that kind of under, you know, that would undermine the whole purpose, but like have the TV on the wall right outside and have it turned down, like let people, you know, the whole reason people are at the game in the first place is because they like baseball and they shouldn't have to completely leave the baseball side of it behind in order to like find a place where they can be calm and, and relaxed a little bit. Um, but yeah, and I just feel like, and it's, I also, I take this a little bit personally, I will be honest because I've had multiple conversations with city field folks like in leadership about sensory needs. And, you know, when they first launched the sensory kits a couple of years ago, I, I, I had given them some feedback, mostly positive about that. And, um, you know, and said, and even had mentioned, like, if you're ever thinking about adding more sensory supports, you know, I would love to, I, I would happily share my thoughts about those. And like, I was right there. They literally just had to like respond to a previous email and I would have been able to tell them like, this is way too small, like that a family of four can't fit in it. This makes it impossible to follow the game that we're all here ostensibly because we like. This doesn't offer different like physical levels of where people might want to be in order to feel regulated. Like it's, there was a lot of boxes that weren't checked here. 
Um, now, is it just and for- I appreciate them putting in the effort, but I also look at this and I'm like, this isn't really a fixable thing. Like it's just going to be like that. And not a lot of people are going to use it because it doesn't serve very many purposes. And they're going to be like, ah, see, we did it for nothing. Yep. That's what I fear. Just for kids or would an adult be able to like get something out of it? (sighs) Yes. I mean, I I think like an adult could certainly fit on each side of it. Not a particularly heavy adult, but yes, an adult, but it's, it's definitely built for kids. And like most sensory spaces are kind of optimized for kids, um, which is problematic in its own right, because there are many, many adults who have neurodiversities that will benefit from this kind of support. So the fact that it's all kind of infantilized is a little bit of a problem in and of itself, but like most adults would be able to fit in this. Um, and most adults would probably be able to get there somewhat faster than we did. Um, but it's, I mean, again, like it's, if you want some place that's just quiet for a few minutes, then like, welcome to the sweet level hallway. It's super quiet. Like, I don't know, you know, it just seems like, um, seems like just a real missed opportunity. Um, especially, you know, I, I tweeted about this a couple, couple weeks ago, but like a minor league team posted photos of their new sensory room, which has like beanbag chairs and like multiple different wall textures and adjustable lighting. And it's like a whole, whole ass room. Uh, and if, I'm sorry, if a minor league baseball team can pull that off, so can the Mets. Absolutely. But they won't because yeah, come on. they did this thing that is largely like not fixable. Like you can't, the, the, just the way the nook is built, you can't make it bigger. You can't, you know, restructure it in any way. It just is what it is. And what it is, is okay. You know, it's not like it's the worst for having it. Some people will get benefit from it. That's good. But again, just like a real missed opportunity to do something a lot more um, user-friendly. I I hate that you have to go into the special level to get it and you have to have have a pass to get there. Like that's ridiculous. Um, Something just more user-friendly serves a wider variety of needs. They could have done that and they didn't. Yeah. And it just, it feels like these things are like, so obviously like, like you said at the outset, like it's better than not having it certainly, but like, it just feels like these types of things are like fighting tooth and nail for just the smallest incremental progress possible. And like, and then, yeah. And I would, I was going to say that it's very similar to, we talked, we talked about how like the, they opened a women's shop, uh, you know, at city field (laughs) and they called it a shop and it's basically a kiosk. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not that impressive. It's so small. They couldn't fit the cash register in it. Like, yeah. I mean, it really is like a mall, like half of a mall kiosk (laughs) is the rough. Very minimum proportion, which like, I'm sorry, city field is not a small building and you're giving me a two-person diner booth for a sensory space and a mall kiosk for a women's shop. Like, come on, man. This is, it just feels so cheap and insulting. Yeah. Half-assed. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Like we, like we, like 
you know, folks who have been advocating for serving neurodivergent people have been like screaming about this for a really long time. Similarly, women have been, you know, screaming for a really long time about the lack of selection in the women's merchandise for baseball, not just the Mets, like baseball, period. Um, And it's like you just give us these little breadcrumbs and are like, you should be thankful for this. Like, that's basically like kind of what it feels like. Like it's it's almost condescending. It's yeah. like, oh, here's this. The like, you, of the women, you get a kiosk as a treat. <laughs> well, the presence of the kiosk has also not improved the selection. No, right? No, because um, everything in that kiosk was available at other stores, and I know this because I was there on the day of my birth, <laughs> trying to give MLB my money, my mother's money, for a black. Francisco Lindor jersey size small. That's all I wanted. The main star of the team, their newest uniform style. And there was not a single one in the entire stadium. And like, come on, y'all. Like, this is not, we are not setting the bar super high. And we didn't wander in at the end of the game either. It's not like we wandered in after the game, after thousands and thousands of people had already circulated through. Like, we were there, like, We were in the team store like half an hour before first pitch, at least. Well, and I wanted like, because I had had a bad week, so bad month, bad few months. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to treat myself. And I want a blue jersey. I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's Scherzer, Lindor, your two big stars. I want a blue one. And I went into three different stores. On the on the main floor, they had zero blue jerseys. And the in the store upstairs, they only had Pete Alonzo. I already have a Pete Alonzo pinstripe jersey. I do not want another Pete Alonzo jersey. So it's like your two big stars, one that you just acquired, like you said, Maggie, to market, was nowhere to be seen for women. I was like, come on. And my only option was the black. We all know I hate the black jerseys. Why don't I get options? I am the sole representative of the black jersey lovers in this podcast. And I'm okay with it. No, Kellyanne likes the black jersey. Yeah, she does. That is true. We are we are evenly divided. It's just right now you are outnumbered. You're outnumbered. But and that's fine. I know what I'm I know what I got into. But but it's yeah, it's just these like Take our money yes. for Jersey. I was in, I was in such a bad mood. I was going to spend lots and lots of money and I couldn't even do that. And I mean, you guys already know, like I, the only reason I didn't buy a, I, I didn't try to buy a Scherzer blue Jersey, like at the stadium was because I wanted it for the April 7th game because that, or the April 8th game, because that was going to be Scherzer's first start as a Met. So I really wanted it for that. You know how long it took me to get that? I had to wear. I had to call the team store. I couldn't order it online. I couldn't no. find it anywhere. I had to call them, and I had to call them repeatedly and email them multiple times. I basically had to like track someone down, call repeatedly to get a Scherzer jersey shipped to me, and pay more than market price for it. Yeah. So, you know. And then there was, like, and this is the, and this is just the thing with like this under delivery of promised improvements to a segment of the fan base they ostensibly care about and would like to serve you know it within and it's not like you know we're expecting sensory rooms or women's merch you know out of like the goodness of their hearts 
but it should be good business sense. Yeah. yeah. Like we're in a capitalistic relationship. I recognize that. So why are they not trying to take our money to improve that capitalistic relationship? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Just it's frustrating. But like, and then like you could customize a jersey, but the lines there, the line was huge. And the game is going to start. I'm not going to sit there waiting to customize a jersey when you should just have one available to purchase. And they cost more. Yeah. And they cost more. Like, the hell is that fair? Yeah. <sighs> not just really frustrating. It's not. Um, but in, in news that is far, far less frustrating to talk about, uh, we want to end this segment um, with a shout out on a high note. Um, friend of the podcast, Elise made a video for her painting project depicting women in baseball, which is supported by the Russell J. Efros Foundation. Um, and I will link that video, um, in the show notes and tweets for this episode. It is fabulous. I beg of you all to watch it. It's not that long. It's like three minutes long. It's fantastic. Um, you all may remember Elise from, uh, she made a fantastic Pete Alonso painting for us for dollars for dingers last year. She is so so talented. Um, and she did an entire series, um, on women in baseball, which is depicted in this video. She talks about like what inspired the series, um, and everything like that. Her, her growing up loving baseball. We even get a little shout in the video talking about how how uh, when she heard board members from the International Women's Baseball Center being interviewed on this podcast, it like helped spark her interest in doing and painting women in baseball, which is so cool and humbling that we helped inspire this project in part, whatever small part we played. I am so overjoyed by that. That makes me so happy. Um, So please check out Elise's video, which we will post um, she's also done a series on uh, Negro League baseball players in the past. So you should just check out all of her artwork. She is so good. <laughs> like, I am blown away by how talented Elise is. Please check out her artwork. I will link it uh, in the show notes and the tweets. So shout out to a friend of the pod, Elise. Uh, thank you for sharing that video with us, for emailing that video. I had, I was, uh, I was so happy when I watched it. It really, it really brightened my day um, watching that today. Um, so with that, uh, we will end the show this week. Like we always do. We're with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise Maggie Wigan, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, my walk-off win is that we had a lovely jaunt, um, this past weekend out to Pittsburgh where I've never been before. Now I know the first thing on anybody's mind and certainly the first thing on my mind was getting to PNC Park. But wouldn't you know, uh, my husband's best friend had the audacity to schedule her wedding on a weekend when the pirates were away. So we did not actually get to Darn. go to PNC Park, which has been on like at the top of my wish list for incredibly long. I will forgive you. Congratulations, Nora. Um, but everything else was just lovely. Um, we went to the Children's Museum in, you know, the on one of those days. And it is a great great children's museum. Um, Linda, as a, as a librarian, I need you to know that they had just the last couple days of a, um, of a Mo Willems, um, exhibit, uh, which is the folks may be aware of like, don't let the pigeon drive the bus or elephant piggy. Um, the kid, my kids could drive the bus. That's uh, that's awesome. um, 
but it was great. It was a really nice museum. Uh, we, we got around largely on their, um, transit system. They have, a even a light rail subway, uh, a couple lines there and a lot of buses and it's just a beautiful city. Um, there's just a lot of like really lovely older buildings, um, and some other newer, like interesting architecture as well. Um, on our way there, we actually stopped at the historic landmark uh, railroading spot called Horseshoe Curve, where because of the mountains, it makes like a true, like a horseshoe shape, which is crazy and weird. And then you stand there and you're basically surrounded on all sides by like a single two mile long train. It's really impressive. So that was another, it's not technically Pittsburgh, but I'm giving them credit for it. Um, and yeah, and then the the wedding was at this amazing tiny art museum and gallery called uh, the Mattress Factory. And it was just really cool and interesting modern art. The kids loved it. There was a lot of stuff. I mean, it's not like a kid's museum by any means, but it is um, a lot of it was like interactive. Uh, like they're going into a dark room with like a little, uh, little nook under some stairs that's clearly like a crawl space. And I was like, oh, you guys, that looks kind of creepy. And then I hear Thomas go, wow, that's a lot of eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, we, and we had to leave too soon because that is just how short weekend trips go with family. But, um, but I loved it. And I really want to go back sometime when the pirates are not away um, and uh, hit back up that museum. And there was a bunch of other, there's a Andy Warhol from there. So there's a great Andy Warhol museum, like a plus Pittsburgh. I like you. You can stay. Pittsburgh's yeah. a Pittsburgh great city. is lovely. I loved it when I visited, um, but they're on my shit list right now. So I'm sorry. I can't. Oh yes. That was, um, I cannot partake <laughs> in this conversation right now. Our hotel was literally next door to the oh, hockey arena. Um, and I saw, I was like, I was like, man, who are they playing? No. It's, you know, and, and I saw a really sad Rangers fan. I was like, oh no. no. Oh no. So yeah, no, I, I, I hate them too on your behalf. Yes, thank you. This is walk-off wins. We won't talk about that. Yeah. Um, but Linda Surfich, what is your walk-off win for this week? I don't have one. <laughs> oh no. I just been so sad. I was crying watching Moana last night. <laughs> Moana's a good walk-off win. I love Moana. All right, fine. Moana will be my walk-off win. I cry a lot when I watch Moana. Yeah, Moana is very good. The music's very good. The animation is very it's good. The, the part that always kills me that gets the waterworks running is um, when she's running away and her mom catches her and then helps her pack. Yeah. That's what moms do. Yeah. The part that always gets me is that the when she says I am Moana, I was mm-hmm. like, oh no, she's like a strong woman. Yep. <laughs> she is Moana. She is Moana. Yeah, I was like, yes, you are Moana now. Go get that heart. <laughs> like then there's no love story. It's just not a strong girl. And I know, I love that. That's my favorite thing about Moana. Yeah. And and like and like a lot of Disney movies recently. It's been like, doesn't need to have like a romance plot to be good. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, I mean, Frozen and Frozen 2 do have romance in it, but a lot of it is like inverting those expectations and the movies repeatedly 
center the non-romantic relationship. Right. The point is that, that like, like, family love like is yes. the center of it. Yeah, like that's yes. why like Frozen is not my favorite, but the part that always gets me is the true love is between the sisters. Yep. And yep. you know, having a sister, oh my, oh my god. <laughs> that is true love too. <laughs> So, like, you know, wasn't there, like, a stupid article not so long ago about, like, how there's no more love in Disney stories? I oh, yeah. I think it was Yeah, it was, like, Ben Shapiro yeah. or something. It was, yeah, it was, like, it was... Why can't we be horny for Disney anymore? Very, like, very pathetic. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, Moana. Walk off win for Moana. And what a great film. And, um, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, shiny. I love shiny. Shiny, you're shiny, you're so good. And then he was like, now he like alludes to Sebastian from Little Mermaid, like those like little things like that. And like, um, I think oh, Maui turns into Sven at one point. Like I just love like like little details like that. Like, they always you know. put the Easter eggs in there. It's yeah, cool. which I always like. So <laughs> I love that they worked with so many different Pacific Islander, um people in terms of like the music yeah, the and the costume design and a lot of the voice actors like that that's also awesome it's a it's a really nicely representative yeah, movie like everything Agreed. about it was just really well done and yeah so yeah so okay Moana Moana will be my walk-off win yeah exactly um my walk-off win this week is um that I went to a bachelorette party over the weekend and I had a really nice time um it was uh, it was just it was pretty it was local, which was really nice. Like it's probably the least far I've had to travel for a bachelorette party ever. It was just like a like a state park in northeast Maryland. Like literally the town is called Northeast Maryland. So in addition <laughs> to being in the northeast section of Maryland, it is called Northeast Maryland. Um, so it was just a really nice time. Like we got a really nice Airbnb, like right on the water. Um, it's a shame. It really is a shame that the weather was so crappy. Like it was like the weather was awful. God, it was so bad. It was like 50 degrees and raining and windy. And like, if it hadn't been that, like we would have like kayaked and there were a lot of potential and like sat out like at picnic (laughs) tables and chairs next to the water. Oh, did JD do something with the bases loaded? Yeah, sex fly. Okay, that'll work. That'll work. They need the insurance. That's, That's good. Oh, good. Like, it was it was going and then ah, so close to a salami. And that's not him. That's just the ball. Right yeah, now. balls dead. Did you see the one the other day where he had like an eight ninety like um expected batting average? Yeah, it was. It was that one was absolutely tattooed and it was died. I know my JD yeah, swings, and I knew that was a home run swing, and it wasn't even at the warning track. Yeah, it's yeah shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we would have uh, if the weather hadn't been so absolutely terrible, we would have kayaked or like sat out by the water and and drank and stuff like that. But we made the most of it. Luckily, our Airbnb that we had was like really, really lovely, just like a lovely house. It was so nice. Um, and like, we, you know, the view was still nice and the deck was covered so we could just like step out on the deck and look at the water. And we I saw I saw turtles. I saw a blue heron. Oh. I saw lots of ducks. It was just it was lovely. Um, and we, you know, we did go to two wineries on Saturday um, and enjoyed them a great deal. Um, so that was just a nice time. We walked into the first one and like we walk in and 
you know, we look like a bachelorette party does like the bride is wearing like a sash and a little veil and a crown and stuff. Uh, so you can tell what we are when we walk in. <laughs> um, and like there's horse decorations everywhere. And we're like, what is going on? And we realized that the winery was having a Kentucky Derby watch party. And oh. we had like walked right into the middle of it. <laughs> so like everybody is like. Did you get to see the end of the race? No, we didn't because we were at the winery in like the middle of the afternoon. So we were watching like the, like, you know, they do like races like all day leading up to like the big ones. So they had the like like, giving out mint juleps or anything. No, they weren't. I don't think they were giving out mint juleps because they're a winery. They want you to drink the wine. But but they were like, uh, there were all these people in like their fancy hats and everything. And then we walk in like bride tribe. And it's like, oh, (laughs) wait, Allison, do you like, do you like mint juleps? Because I know your feelings about mint. So I do enjoy mint juleps because I do okay. like fresh mint and it like. So like actual mint. Material. Exactly. I do like fresh mint. And if it's okay. like a supporting flavor, I can get behind that. It's mostly a, if it's gotcha. like too much, the dominating flavor in something and be the mm. like super fake mint taste, like in candies and gums and stuff. I really don't like that. Um, But like. I was fresh muddled mint and a mint julep. That's the good stuff. I could get behind that. And like cucumber mint type drinks, like, you know, like like a like a gin and cucumber with like some mint in it type of cocktail. Good stuff. Um, So, yeah, I do enjoy mint juleps. No mint juleps were drunk, but lots of wine was drunk. And we enjoyed uh, the we we didn't see the actual race itself, the the Kentucky Derby. But we were watching like, you know, the pre races that they do all day long. And um, what's his name? The MSNBC guy, Steve Karnacki, like doing the like board with the like and the the sound was off. So all we see him is like wildly gesticulating. And it was very funny. Um, And we're all laughing at that. That and it was a great time. And there was like a little like photo booth with like horse props. And so we took like tons of like, like bridal type of pictures with the horse props. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, so we just happened to walk in when they were having the Kentucky Derby. We had no idea. We had made a reservation. So it's not like, you know, there wasn't room for us or they they couldn't accommodate us. Like they like we had called ahead and made a reservation. They were like, sure, come on down. And then we like walk in and we're like, oh, this is like a whole thing. Uh, so that was very fun. Um, and then, you know, we went to a second winery, also very nice. Uh, and you you know, it's just a very nice time. We made the most of it despite the weather being bad. Um, but it wasn't really about the activities. It was about the company and I had a really fun weekend with my friends. So that was nice. That's Um, awesome. So congratulations to, um, my close friend, Jess, who's getting married, um, on June 3rd. So that will probably be my walk-off win the week after that. <laughs> uh, so may the weather be may better. the weather be better for her actual wedding. I hope so. Yeah, she did mention that at one point. She's like, "It's raining now, so that on my wedding day it will be nice." <laughs> yeah, and get we that like, out of the way. And we were like, "Yeah, exactly." Uh, hope that's the case. Um, oh, happy Mother's Day, Maggie. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes, I spent the day driving for about nine hours. Oh, God. Um, with kids just being exhausted and crabby and but um but next weekend I'll get special Chinese okay Okay, good (laughs) awesome perfect I will have a all right good (laughs) good that's what we like to hear like yeah man that was not my finest uh Mother's Day (laughs) um oh well it happens 
But um, in the meantime, uh, you can go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check out all of our fantastic content. We have game recaps. We have morning news posts. I have the weekly meters. We have everything for you guys. We also might, may or may not have an analysis piece up soon about how the baseballs might be affecting throwing errors in the field. Uh, Dave Lucas and I have been brainstorming that. It may turn out to be like, not really anything, but it might be something. We'll find out. Uh, we're we're still crunching the numbers on that. Uh, so we may have that for you. Um, you can follow Amazing Avenue on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pod of their own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Service. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. You can email the show like Elise did aa.apodoftheirown at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you guys. Um, you should subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from Amazing Avenue Audio. You can get an art, uh, the, the, the entire suite of our amazing pods if you subscribe to Amazing Avenue Audio. Um, the original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcast.